Welcome to the Ritual House Podcast, a show about the rituals we practice, the new ones we create, and the many ways rituals help us live deeper, more meaningful, and more connected lives. I'm your host, Tova Leibovic Douglas, and allow me to be the first one to say, welcome home. Welcome back to another episode of The Ritual House. I am so glad to have you back. It has been a week. It has been a month. It has been a year. It has been some years, which is why we're here at The Ritual House, really wanting to somehow find a way to contain all the things. I've been thinking a lot about what this podcast is about. What does it mean? And I do believe that it is going to be an evolving creative project. One piece that is becoming so clear to me as I have the privilege to talk and speak with a lot of different people that are coming on, which I'm really excited for you to get to know. One thing that's really alive for me right now is there's so much fear out there to talk to someone who does not think like us or believe in the same way as us or potentially says something that we might, I don't know, get canceled or frowned upon because we live in some society that limits our connection to people who are outside of how we think and how we do life and religion and spirituality. And something that I have always felt sure about about myself is I could talk to mostly anyone. I don't know why that is, but put me next to someone on an airplane, put me really anywhere. I I could listen to someone's story, specifically if we're talking on spirituality and ritual and things that you know, matter uh, and listen to the person's story and learn something. And I think that that's true for all of us. We have so much to learn from one another, specifically from people who are different than us. And I know that that's hard for some people, but I'm excited that the Ritual House can be a space where all different types of people can talk And I can listen and also have some opinions and thoughts and share them back. And my hope is it's a model for people to do that in their lives. And if not, it's certainly a window to hearing from someone else, a different perspective that they might not get to hear from. And I want to do that with more care and more nuance and more depth. I want to go there. And I'm, I have to be honest, a little scared to because our world is really limiting. We, we are told to be in a box and stay in a box. And honestly, I want to say, just forget the box. They don't serve us. They really don't. They limit us. And especially if we're talking about spirituality, it's kind of like, doesn't work. So here we're, we're aiming to be boxless. <laughs> we're a circle, if you will. And I'm excited to bring people who think differently than me and that I get to learn from and hopefully you get to learn from too. My guest today is just all kinds of awesome. You'll get to know her. Her name is Reverend Najuma Smith. Rev Najuma and I spoke a lot about faith, faith in the deepest way. And she really spoke about her calling, her calling into faith despite such pain and hardship in her life, despite obstacles being part of her life, faith being something that she just had no choice of. 
she used this expression a few times of rituals that she does. And I just want to name it because I just think it's so amazing. An outward expression of an inward conviction. And she's here really embodied as a leader, as a spiritual leader, to help people find a way to outwardly express something that they inwardly feel convicted on. And I feel like she embodies a spiritual leader that walks the walk and talks the talk. We didn't get into the patriarchy or any of the stuff like today. We will have her back and do that. But we did talk a little bit about like, what does it mean to be a leader, a religious leader today? And she spoke a lot about what it means to speak into the problem of today. And this conversation went to so many different places, which is really exciting because there's so many aspects of Reverend Najuma that I identify with as a female-embodied rabbi, and so many parts of her that are, I think, representing what spiritual moral leadership looks like today. And I'm really excited for you to be on the journey of our multiple conversations, including family and grandparents. And I hope what you take away is perhaps some inspiration on leaning into faith, especially if you're someone like me that struggles with that sometimes, as well as seeing how religious leaders are grappling and figuring out today what it means to lead. She does so with such conviction. So without further ado, here we go. Welcome, Rev. Najuma Smith, who is the pastor for the Words of Encouragement Church, also the Assistant Director of Community and Public Engagement at USC for the Center for Religion and Civic Culture. Rev. Najuma Smith combines her experience as a pastor and expertise as a community leader to help faith leaders become full partners in the work for social change. She leads programming for the Cecile Murray Center for Community Engagement, which is housed at CRCC. She is a pastor, a motivational speaker, an author, a life coach, a radio personality, a community activist. There are so many things that I can share about Rev. Najuma Smith and her sacred holy work. And one thing I want to just share is I heard Rev. Najuma speak probably maybe a decade ago at this point for the first time, I think close to it. And I felt like chills in my in my arms um, because she speaks about a deep spiritual truth that I think all of us can feel as human beings. And I think she uses her own story, her own pain in order to bring people in. And I just, I'm really in awe of her. So I'm really grateful you're here on the Ritual House podcast and to have you. So welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Of course. So happy to have you. I like to start out with a question that I feel like it's sometimes like fun to do and sometimes harder, but I'll just start and you can see where it goes for you. I'm curious if you think of little Rev Najuma, (laughs) pre-reverend, pre-pastor. Do I think about her? Well, when you think of her, is there like an early memory or moment that speaks to you regarding her spiritual or ritual life? in any way? Is there something that like strikes you at age five, six, seven or younger? My grandfather 
Um, my gra- I have grandparents that were deeply engaged in church. And something that had, well, it was actually two things that had profound impact on my faith formation. One was a grandmother who prayed on her knees by her couch and literally like seeing that as a kid growing up and hearing her um, pray for me and my cousins and, and family. But just like growing up, I remember that about my grandmother, like being on the side of her couch, literally, you know, just in prayer. And then my grandfather, my grandfather was, um, so it was like one thing. It was like just the way he, you know, he things he did, but he was, um, he was a member of, of a, one of the oldest black Baptist churches here in LA, second Baptist church. And as a child, he would come pick me up every Sunday, drive from LA to Santa Monica to pick me up for church, which was all the way, you know, so Second Baptist Church is on the other side of USC. I grew up on 12th and Pico down the street from Santa Monica High School, if you know where that is. So if yeah. you know so I lived down. So he made that trek wow. from South LA to Santa Monica to pick me up. We went to church. He'd bring me home and go back. So he was like one, two, like three times up and down the 10 freeway on Sundays just to make sure I went to church every Sunday. Wow. Yeah. And so... And at 12, I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, which is, for those that may not be familiar, it's when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And then you, you know, it's a process of like, the master question, like, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and praying for the Holy Spirit to be quickening you? So I learned that at 12. Like, I, like I have very clear memories of going down to the front saying, yes, I want to be saved. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, going in the back of the room and then asking the question about being filled with the Holy Spirit and then explaining to me, you know, the Spirit will come alive, be quickening you. That's when I learned the word quicken at 12. Mm. And then some weeks later, you know, getting baptized, you know, dunked in the full, full dunking, water, white gown, all that. So when I think about my faith as a young person, those two memories, yeah, that that memory, the memories of my grandparents and how they were so um, instrumental. Oh, wow. It's super yeah. powerful to have elders yeah. in your life that are caretaking for you in like a spiritual way and that you could see that and and that you had like this time in your life where you opted in. Like it's a young, I mean, it's young, but it's old. It's like the tween years, you know, it's like that foundational time to sort of decide. And, and do you, did you enjoy the baptism? Like, do you, like, was it a joyful thing? Was it? It was, was, yeah, it was exciting. It was exciting because I was very clear about what was happening. I, I wasn't like 12 and like, I don't know what's going on. I understood. I, I had a, so I tell people I had an early appreciation for, for that time of my life. Like I, I understood, I was clear. Um, it felt very spiritual for a 12 year old. You know, I was, I wasn't reluctant. I wasn't scared. Um, nobody had to make me, nobody had to convince me. They asked me the questions that they asked everybody else. And I was like, yep, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So it was not, it was, uh, I was very willing. Yeah. Yeah. And as a pastor today, do you facilitate rituals like baptism for other people? Like, and you do. And like, is that a ritual that's like connective to you or the, uh, like speak of rituals and you're like daily, weekly. I mean, a lot of, a lot of church, a lot of people don't experience baptisms anymore. It's like, 
uh, it's not something that you see a lot, right. but we encourage baptism. We you encourage do. baptism. We encourage children getting christened. Um, I encourage it and I try to teach it and explain it, that it's an outward expression of an inward conviction. Oh, that's beautiful. Can you say that again a little slower? I love that. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's an no, outward it's good. expression of an inward conviction. Uh-huh. So it might be something similar for you all. Maybe, I don't know if there's some times where you make, you do something outward to express, you know, a, 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 a pivot or a change in your life as it relates to your spiritual walk. Yeah. So that's how I teach and explain it. And it's very important to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so well, make it a big deal at our church. <laughs> yeah. And water is, you know, so powerful. And in Judaism, we have um, the mikvah, the yes. ritual, right? And so I also am really big mikvah person as a <laughs> rabbi. And a lot of people are not, you know, right. like it's not right. like part of the like regular thing, but I find that ritual to be extraordinarily powerful. There's something right. about water that right. can be really I don't know if you feel that way but yeah no I uh, do and and a lot of times when we baptize people I would just open up to the room and say is anybody else that wants to get baptized because it's just an outward expression of inward conviction so it's not like you have to go like we have a book and training and classes for those that want all that but it's also something that could be done very much in the moment where you feel led mm. yeah yeah so that's that is an important ritual for me and it's an important ritual that I teach at our church. Yeah. And when you think of yourself as that 12-year-old that opted in and decided to do, to really accept that conviction that you felt in an outward way, and today being a spiritual leader and being a reverend, mm -hmm. do you still feel that conviction? Is there like moments of doubt? Am I allowed to ask that? I feel like in Judaism, we're like all about the doubt all the time. Too much doubt, too much doubt. We need more faith. <laughs> but I'm like, can I ask a person of deep faith that question? I mean, do I have moments I doubt? Yeah, but they're not, they're not, they don't linger long. They don't. Um, and they're usually caused by something external happening where I'm like, God, oh, where are you? Okay, you're there. You know, it's that kind of thing. I'm I, at this stage of my life. I'm too far in to be to to question. Yeah, and, and not just and not me say that I don't. It's not that I don't ask questions. Of course, but I'm too far in to have doubt. I, I it's it's more like the child that knows their parents gonna come through, but you whine every now and then anyway because you're just not getting your way. Right. So I, I whine every now and then, but I know ultimately God's got me. Like you know, so I don't. It's not a doubt in. And that's more, it's probably more inconvenience, whining, <laughs> but I'm too far in. Like I'm, I'm too far in probably if it, in my twenties, when life was really, um, rough, life was rough. I probably mm. doubt. I probably had great moments of doubt. I know I did because as a young adult, I struggled, you know, I struggled hard. So I probably, I had doubts. Like, I don't know if God's going to do this. I don't know, but at this stage, I've gone through a lot, Rabbi. So it's we have a song in the Black church, and the lyrics go something like this. I know too much about him, so you can't make me doubt him. <laughs> um, and uh, so at this stage of my life, I know too much about him to doubt him. Mm. I probably doubted younger in my like certainly in my young adult years, lots of doubt. But at this stage and with all that I've been through and survived. So the beauty of going through a lot of 
difficulty and surviving, uh, you just kind of know everything is going to be all right. Now I understand my grandmother. It's going to make me tear up. That's okay. I understand my grandmother now more than I ever did before. You know, because of course, when I was a little girl, of course, she was in her 50s and 60s. But she she would have this like unflinching fearlessness. She wasn't afraid of people. <laughs> she would talk crazy to folks. I was always like, Grammy, like they could hurt you. But in her end, but she, she, but now I get it. Like with all that she here survived, you know, right, born and raised in the deep South under Jim Crow. Mm. My grandfather and her had to move to Germany so he could fight in World War II. Oh, wow. Wait, where was she from in the South? Mississippi. Laurel, Mississippi. Wasn't nothing there but racism and sticks, right? And then you come back, you know, so she got to take her her kids, which would have been my mother and my aunt, at infants to Belgium. And my grandfather served in the 761st Tank Battalion. He makes it out. They come back to the States, you know, 20-something years later to a place called Los Angeles, only to find out you can fight for your country, but you still can't buy property in some parts of your country, you know, survived relationship issues. Fight. So now I understand my grandmother better now that I am, I'm not her age when my mother had me, but I'm close. Mm. And I get, I get it now. Like as a, as a little girl watching her as a, as my grandmother, she just had this fearlessness and this she just was sure about God, but I get it. Like when you go through so much and you live to tell about it, doubt is the last thing that you really have. Frustration, yes. Fear, a little bit. Pain. Anger at some things, pain, yeah, but doubt, no. And I understand her more now at this stage of my life as a mother, grandmother, you know, having, I've been married three times, <laughs> gone through three divorces, gone, survived sexual assault, domestic violence. You know, I buried my, one of my children in 2018. You know, you just go through enough. You know that you're still here, right mind. God has kept me. The last thing I have is doubt. Oof. And any one of those things that you just listed, for many would actually completely break break them right yeah Yeah. break any faith that they have absolutely but for you it didn't because it didn't for my grandmother it didn't for my grandfather and those they were in my life as children and so watching them growing up with them i just believe that they transferred a mantle to me before they transitioned into they both died in 2015 so i believe they both were able to transfer something to me as a as a kid and even as a young adult, learning from them as they matriculated into their last days. Yeah. What were their names? May Ollie Jones and James Brider Jones. <laughs> All right. I want to bring them in here. Yeah. <laughs> With yeah. your permission. Yeah, they're here. They're here. For they're sure here. they're here. Yeah. Because I can't. So here's the thing. Like whenever anybody asks me about my faith journey, I cannot talk about it without centering them. Because without them, it doesn't exist. Were they married to each other? Not when I was. They were ma- no. They 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 did get a divorce at some point. I was I was too young to be a part of that process, so I never knew them to live in the same home. However, my grandfather, 
We today, I would say he still had carte blanche at my grandmother's house. And as I got older, I I was like, Granddaddy, come over here, like he live here, you know, like like he because he still was he still would come over for Christmas dinner. So as a child, I didn't I didn't re- recognize, but as I got into a young adult, and my grandfather would still come by, and he'd come over for Christmas dinner and. Thanksgiving and Easter. And, and even when he moved out of state, he would still fly back in. And whenever he'd come back in state, he always had a gift for my grandmother. And they were divorced. But, you know, it's kind of like kind of like what we've seen recently with Will and Jada Smith. And right. Like they just live, to, apart, live apart, but they still support each other. But they're you know, in right? it. Yeah, they're in it. They're spiritually yeah, in right. it. And it's funny, as I've watched this whole thing play on social media, I was like, oh, my God, that's my grandparents. But not, you know, another level. Right. But, Right. But that kind of like, we're apart, but we're together. And as a child, I never saw. And let me know what's funny. Only recently did I find a letter. My mother kept some, she has a bunch of stuff in my family. So my mother kept a letter, these letters that my grandmother wrote to a male friend. Mm. And in the letters, she talks about how he broke her heart. And you could, you know, and I said, oh, my grandmother had a boyfriend. Like I'm, you. She been gone. I, I didn't know. I didn't know she had a boyfriend. Didn't know the d- the friend. details. Yeah, she had a little. <laughs> she left that out. So I never seen her with another man outside of people from church. At least I didn't know. You know, maybe it could have been her friend, but everybody was uncle, somebody, Mister So and So. You know, what I'm saying nobody was like Grammy's love. You know, or boyfriend or friend boy, whatever. You know, saying it was always my grandfather. (laughs) But it's just it's just so it's just so interesting to me, this idea that the grandparents and their hold, I I relate to it like my faith comes from. It's just interesting. It's actually my grandfather's on each side, Mm -hmm. separate, separate. Um, my papa was a Southern Methodist. My mom converted to Judaism at some okay, point. Okay. And we have ministers going back yeah. like a really long time. Oh, wow. Okay. And then my Zaidi, um Holocaust survivor, super, super, a man, a man of super faith, right? Yeah. It's interesting. I like, and you're making me realize, I wonder like if that's part, if there is something in that, in having grandparents with that and how that can, that skips the generation. Cause you see it from a different angle or something as a child, you know, I don't know. Like, I wonder. Yeah. And my mother, she, she's religious now and she's a Jehovah witness. Um, and she became a Jehovah witness not long after I got baptized. Oh, interesting. And my mother is a dove. Now she's, well, she, when she became a Jehovah witness, she, up until that point, my mother probably dibbled and dabbled up in everything. But when she became a job witness, it was something about the witness testimony and process that got a hold of her. And my mother has pioneered. She has traveled the world. Oh, wow. Doing pioneer work. Yeah. She's very much a very devout Jehovah witness. Yeah. Yeah. So it was interesting that it wasn't until after I got baptized and it was like she got her own baptism and salvation. And I mean, my, from my mother, it was like a cold turkey stop because... She went from like having friends, you know, having drinks, smoking cigarettes to like and having, you know, going to parties. And I remember because I was a kid, you know, back then, that was in the 70s and early 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, you just took your kids to the parties with you. Yeah, you know, you that, know, you know, they 80s, slept on the couch. Yeah. yeah. Kids go in the back room and the adults are in the front room drinking. Nowadays, we don't, a lot of people don't do that kind of stuff. But uh, we try, I guess we try to evolve a little bit. But 
you know, those, back in those days, the kids you know, were outside in the back room. That was your choice. Outside in the back room. And, you know, parents did their partying. And my mother, when she became a Jehovah's Witness, that immediately came to a halt. And I remember, like, friends calling her, like, Beverly, where are you? We don't see anymore. And my mom was like, I'm a witness now. I'm baptized. It's a wrap. Like, she just cut people off. Wow. People that I had grew up with and their kids. And it was like one weekend she was out partying, hanging out. And the next two weekends, it was over. And she tried to, like, you know, maintain some relations. But it was like she was so in it that it was, like, offensive to people. Like, because she would, she might go to your house and... She start she started in on that. I don't do that anymore. I don't do this anymore. I don't do that anymore. And they were like, "Yeah, don't come back over." <laughs> yeah, you're you're kind of a party pooper. You're, yeah, you you don't you That's the very vice high. So yeah. So but you then know. but then like I guess I wonder for you, how does it work? I mean, you work in a field where you're working with multi faith, right, all the time. Like multi faith leaders, you're connecting with. Right. We just don't talk about religion at <laughs> all. At all, Toba, at all. We just don't. We don't. She stopped asking me about being, because she really wanted me to baptize. She really wanted me to be a baptized witness. And so when she became a Jehovah's Witness, you know, of course, I was a teenager. I was still at home. So I actually had to live like a Jehovah's Witness. And I tell people, like, I had to go to book study. I had to go to field service. I had to do all the things. But I never became a baptized Jehovah's Witness. And I would tell them I don't. I've already been baptized. Hmm. I've already been baptized and baptized at 12. And I was, and because like I told you, I was very clear when I got baptized. So I didn't need, I, the, the pressure to convert to Joe Witness was, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't receive the pressure. I didn't take it in. And I just believe that that was the grace of God, like giving me such profound clarity as a teenager, because most teenagers cave into what their parents want. Uh, but that just didn't happen for me. And so... So when I left high school, I left home. I moved in with my grandmother two weeks after I graduated from high school. So I've been on my own since I was 17. And uh, so I was on my own early. And um, and then ministry, the call for ministry came in my at 24. Yeah. So what is what did that look like for you? And I do have another question about how you yeah. I'm so curious about like your I don't would you call them congregants? What what's the word we use in your congregation, congregants? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they, do they have that faith that you have is like one question I have. And then I want to hear about your call. I think some of them do. Yeah. Many of our people are folks that have had some exposure to church or they're new or, you know, they're, they're still dibbling one foot in one foot out. Yeah. Um, so, but, but, but one thing that I get a lot from my members, even my older members, right? Like, one thing they say is, I learned so much from you. Like, your conviction is so real. So people grow. Mm -hmm. Like, I tell you, you you're not going to be about me sincerely and not grow spiritually because it's just who I am. And so some of them do. Some of them have similar backgrounds to me in, in that they were really brought up in church. But but then there are people that, have, that were brought up in church, but they had a churchy experience, not a spiritual experience. And the church experience came with a lot of church hurt. So that also creates a different dynamic. Church hurt, meaning like they felt like the church didn't see them for them. No, yeah, no, the church did stuff they weren't supposed to do. You right. know, people, people not doing right in church yeah. and it creates hurt. Like, 
and, that, and like relig- religion has a bad rap right yeah, right now yeah, yeah. especially it's now popular. like there's a lot right. of religious leaders absolutely. that are like taking advantage of people and it's absolutely. on all all religions oh, no. like absolutely it's so hard yeah to deal with as a yeah social so leader could, whether you call it church hurt or religious hurt yeah and so i have a lot of people like that that come to us because they've had a significant amount of church hurt religious hurt and you know they feel like okay your 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 ministry is safe because i believe you're real <laughs> you know i believe you're the real deal yeah cuz you are you are the real yeah. deal <laughs> thank you so tell us that real deal like the call cuz that's what they say f- i mean i'm sure you hear it too like there is a call right there to decide call. to like go into this yeah. wild field that you and i decided to go into of leading yeah. people so I, religiously yes. <laughs> so i do believe that the call for me started early in that I would have dreams as a teenager about speaking to people about Jesus and about mm. God. I'd have these really profound dreams that I can still remember to this day. And I would, and as a teenager, I would just pray, like, I just want to be the best Christian that I can be. As a teen, that was one of my prayers as a teenager. And, and mind you, I was a real teenager. I wasn't like some holy roller teenager. I was a normal teenager, but I also had a prayer life. I also had, a, I was a normal, I did all the things teenagers did and wasn't supposed to do, right? I was a teenager. Right. But I also had like a very strong faith as a teenager. So I would pray, like, I would just want to be a good Christian because I would have these really powerful prayers. And so when I got to be a young adult, I'm at fame. I'm attending Fame and Fame in New York Fame Church, Fame LA Church. This fame was, LA Church, yeah, yeah first, okay, cool. First, first African Methodist Episcopal Church at that, and Pastor Murray was my, was the pastor. So I ended up going there by way of my aunt, um, right out of high school. When I well, right when I turned eighteen, so I'm eighteen. I'm at Fame. I'm joining. I'm involved in a lot of stuff because I'm feeling this sense of like get involved, get involved, get involved. And then I am hearing sermons in my head and I'm writing notes like, oh, this would be a good sermon. This would be a good something to talk about. I'm just, and these things are just happening. I'm just, I'm in it. I'm in church every Sunday as a young adult, but I'm still living a very much young adult life. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, it didn't stop me from doing anything. Right. I just would go and do what I did and come to church on Sunday because I was raised in that strong faith and it just never went anywhere. So I'm 24 and I am hanging out with some of the ministers. Pastor Murray had taken a bunch of people that worked because I was like active in other parts of ministry. And he had taken a bunch of church leaders to lunch and we were crossing the street. This is when Nima Marcus was still there and El Torito, was it El Torito's? It was a Mexican restaurant across the street. This is back in the day, Beverly Hills was still a place people hung out at. And we were leaving... Neiman Marcus, yeah. It, it was we were leaving Neiman Marcus. We're crossing the street, going to I want to say it was El Torito's at the time. Um, I don't even know. Do you do you remember those two places on in Beverly Hills? Yeah, yeah, I do. And so when they were there, and so and I just hear this voice like, "This is where I want you to be," and I knew it wasn't like in the street as you're crossing the street. But I look in front of me, and all the ministers are in front of me, and I just felt like I felt like. This is what he's saying with all the ministers in ministry. So I shared that with a friend of mine who was in ministry. And she said, oh, that's the call. You got to go talk to Pastor Murray. That's the call. So I went and shared the vision, that moment with him. And he was like, yeah, that's the call. 
getting called. He said, but go, but you got to know that. So go pray about it. So Pastor Murray had this thing where he said, uh, go out in the wilderness. So you got to go pray for two weeks. Oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he, so he, you know, we didn't literally go in the wilderness, but he was like, just go pray about that. Make sure that's what you heard. And I prayed about it and I still felt like that's what I heard. And the rest is history. And so when I came back to him two weeks, two weeks later, two weeks and a couple of days later, spending time in prayer, I said, I think that's, I think that's it. It's real. And, um, and then the rest is AME process where you, okay. He's like, okay, then go talk to Reverend Green and we'll start you on the AME process. And that was and, that. And that was that. And that was at 24. 24. It's young. Yeah. Very young. That's young to feel that. And I had a one-year-old child. My wow. And you just felt it and you just listened and you just went. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how it was when I got saved. I felt it. That's what I'm saying. You've got like a Went theme. Forward. Yeah. Yeah. You just sort of listened. That's what thing. Like even when I, when we, when we planted Word of Encouragement Church, it was like, I felt it and I did it. <laughs> you know, I'd like this. So that's my journey with God. You know, these last 26 years, it's like, if I hear it and I feel like it's real, I'll do it. Yeah. I, I'm so, I so admire it and I want more of that. You know, I hear something. I'm like, was that really something? I don't know yeah. if that was something. And, and I might go through a season of discerning, like, is that? And, but once I'm clear, like, no, that's what you heard. That's what God's showing you. Even when I'm afraid, because a lot of stuff I do, very afraid. I, I do struggle. I have struggled most of my adult life with second-guessing myself, you know, confidence, all those things. But I still tend to go forward. You still do it. You put one foot in front of the other and you, I mean, you do it all the time. Like you're yeah. speaking all the time <laughs> for everyone, for a lot of people. Like you're Thank kind you. of holding it for a lot of people. I mean, I, like listeners should know, like, Name a social justice topic. Name, I don't even like to say it's social justice, but we'll say social right. justice, but name a topic for humanity. And Rev Najuma's like at the front line there, you know, speaking. Man, thank you. I appreciate it's that. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it's really true. I really, and specifically you taking your own pain to do it. I think that that is the part that a lot of us don't do, don't know how to do, shy away from. And and you don't. You go there right away. And and I go much afraid. And you're I afraid. I tell people like don't think <laughs> I'm not nervous. Like a lot of times and I I present well, so you don't even know I'm scared, but a lot of times I am like praying. You can't call somebody else, but I just yeah, that's my agreement with God. If you call me, I'll go. I'm curious, you know, with religion being at this moment of sort of deconstruction, reconstruction, all the things, right, that we're living through, like not just religion, obviously, all political systems, everything, right? I'm, but for religion in particular, I'm kind of curious, do you feel, obviously, you feel committed to your own faith tradition? You wouldn't be standing here as a reverend if you didn't, but how do you grapple with that deconstruction? Like where, what's your take on it in this moment? Yeah. And I, you know, so my take on things is like, when I look at Old Testament prophets, and again, you got to remember I'm 50, I'm 51 now. So I've been through a lot. <laughs> so, so I'm at a, like, and I shared this recently at a conference, like I'm convinced, like I'm convinced of everything. I'm convinced of most things at, as far as as far as relates to my faith. So I do believe that when I look at the Old Testament prophets, 
None of them were called to serve, to speak, to stand up in times of peace and quiet. Like they were always called and raised up for problems <laughs> like that. I say, but that was like there, like there's no prophet who God said, well, nothing's happening for you to be a part of and speak to. Well, I just want to raise you up and give you a voice. And no, all the prophets were raised up doing great times of turmoil and grief and pain when God's people were going through something, whether it was wilderness, Egypt, Exodus, Canaanites, Jebusites, Hittites. I mean, it was, there was, you know, it was like promised land, no promised land, like they crossed the Jordan. I mean, right. None of them were called to be present and to lean into moments of peace and quiet. Right. Right. Not even Jesus. He's born. Definitely not. At a time of great. And what people, which is something that people don't teach a lot of, you know, that I try to teach as a Christian pastor is like Jesus was not, did not come because there was no problems. He came because there were definite issues. Like he was sent, you know, as, as we, re- as we understand it from the Christian context, let yeah. me say that. he was born because there was an issue. There were issues that that needed to be healed and solved and resolved. And, and you know, I'm not only to take you on a Bible study lesson, but so no leader is called or raised up. Like the whole purpose of being called and raised up is because you become an answer to some kind of community, national problem. Right. And you're one of, you know, even you, Rabbi Tova, like we're raised up at a time to be a voice of God a voice of prophetic voice at a time such as this, because Najuma and Toba both have something to speak into, into this crazy world. (laughs) And that's why we're here. And it's not because things are well and easy. So that's how I approach my assignments. Like if I'm going to say I'm a pastor and I operate in the prophetic, then I must accept that no prophet or anyone prophetic was ever raised up or called for peace and quiet Mm. or when things were fine. Everybody, I mean, if I read my Bible, everybody who becomes a character in the text is because they were an answer to a problem. And you feel that. Yes. I feel that I am not the answer. Yeah. I am, as you are, one of the voices speaking into the problem. Right. Right. Yeah. We all want the answer, though, huh? (laughs) Right. I would love to have the answer. Yeah. Because I would certainly bottle it and sell it to everybody. Totally. (laughs) Totally for free. World peace right here. Right. Here it is in a bottle. Just Just shake it and drink. (laughs) Totally. But so I do believe those of us who are spiritual leaders, whatever that looks like, whatever title we wear or position we hold, we are here in this moment as our parents or grandparents or ancestors were in their moment, voices speaking into the many problems, offering solutions. Mm. If Even if the solution is pray. Right. Yeah. And so religion has a place. So that's, yeah. So that's, that's how I, to answer your question, navigate the complexity is that I'm not the answer, number one. Mm. I don't have the answer, but I am one of the voices speaking to the problem with a answer for somebody. <laughs> right. And if all of us do our work, right. Tova, 
all of us. Yeah, totally. Then more people have solutions and it just, it's like the ocean, the wave just continues. Yeah. I love that. I love that image. And I like feel like we should end on it. I mean, I have one more question for you, but I want, (laughs) I want that. I want that. Like that's a beautiful. And, but I do have one question. That's like the third part. So we'll end our conversation here. Although I literally (laughs) have like a thousand more questions for you. Yeah. Like I, like I want to talk at some point, we'll have you back to talk about being like, you know, a female embodied um, pastor. Cause I feel like your answer is actually quite, and I don't want to put that on you, but that's how no, I no. resonate. It's yeah. it's different. We're not the answer. We no. are a answer. And we're here to like empower others to find their answer Absolutely. in order to build Absolutely. it, you know? And Absolutely. and it's like I really resonate with that personally as also as a rabbi. So I really appreciate you naming that. Yeah. Yeah. But go ahead and ask your last question. Oh, last question. Um, <laughs> is there a ritual, since this is the ritual house, is there a ritual that you've done lately, either you've facilitated for others or you've participated that sort of moved you? It could be in the last year, we'll say. We'll give that range. Any ritual. So we do this thing, and I'll talk about, it's, it's easy for me to talk about my church. Yeah. Because I won't mess up details. We do this thing at our church where we're praying for healing, mm. physical healing. And last Sunday was was our Sunday that we chose to acknowledge Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, and so I am a believer of the healing practice, laying on hands, um, praying for people. You know, Bible says, if there are any sick among you, call the elders together, lay hands and pray. And the fervent effectual prayers of the righteous availeth much. And so... Last Sunday, we laid hands and prayed for those who are battling cancer. Mm. One person in particular, she got her diagnosis even before the pandemic. And things went into remission, praise God. And then during the pandemic, came back. And it came back at different level of intensity. But she's still here, right? Even though the doctors have said... We don't know how much longer. So she came forward. This is one of our rituals. Come forward. We're going to lay hands and pray. And I I am a believer in the ritual of laying on hands and praying for healing. I do believe in it. Do we always see healing in the way that we want it? No. So I teach my church that there are many ways to healing and we're, we allow God to do what God's going to do around, but we, but until God says no, we believe. And so that was a recent ritual practice of the laying on hands and praying for healing in the body as well as, you know, emotional healing, spiritual healing. Yeah. Mental, emotional. So the whole person, but we just, I believe in the power of healing. So that was something we did recently is to pray for those who are in the in their current fight against cancer. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. I love that image, um, the mm-hmm. elders and all of us sort of holding someone physically yeah. during it. Yeah, laying on hands. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. Some would say that's like energy work. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So that, yeah. So that's the most recent. Um, but I've, I've, I've been a part of things 
pouring libations. Love it. These are great. This no, is, that was great. Rituals. Mm, yeah. 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 Totally. A lot, of, a lot of different things coming up, but that's probably the most recent one. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you you for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom and your spirit, really. I really, really, really appreciate you and excited to continue the conversation. Thank you again, Revenue Juma Smith, for being here. You can find her at so all my social media is the same at rev juju r-e-v-j-u-j-u if you put that in i'm googleable so if you put at rev juju in your google (laughs) search engine a bunch of stuff will come up and you'll find me on instagram facebook twitter or oh no twitter formerly x no 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 x formerly (laughs) twitter threads linkedin all the things all the things all the things put in rev juju you'll find rev juju you can find rev juju you can check her out at usc as well as at the words of encouragement church okay well check her out she's got a lot of stuff (laughs) thank you again Love doing that episode and loved learning from Reverend Najuma Smith. I was thinking a lot about what I'm taking away from the episode, ritually speaking. And and one piece that we brushed upon or touched upon is the use of water in our traditions and our religions. And I've been thinking a lot about that because as a ritualist, one of the things that I really love doing is connecting my clients, my people, my circles, myself to the elements. I like to call them earthbound energetic principles, earth, fire, wind slash air, and water. They're foundational to us. They're primal. They're universal. They are beyond any religious orientation. I mean, religion uses them and that's great, but they're here for us to utilize ritually speaking. And so I wanted to invite people for this week, consider water. What is water? Well, water is a purifier, an energetic purifier. There's something about stepping into water. Think about like a body of ocean or a lake. When we step into those spaces, the water, it washes something away, it cleanses us. And there's something that happens when we allow ourselves to utilize water, ritually speaking. So some ideas for this week, if you want to try on. If you live near a body of water, why don't you go to it this week? Put your feet in, your toes. If it's too cold somewhere, you can put your hands in. And when you do so, just think in your head, I am allowing for this water to wash away what needs to be washed, to energetically purify, cleanse what needs to be cleansed. And I'm letting the water be part of my release. Just sort of give an intention for yourself as you do it. And if you don't have time because you are like not having any time to breathe right now, that's a little bit like me right now. (laughs) It, It could be really even more simple than that. It doesn't have to be going anywhere. You can even do this in the shower. 
I actually think after a long day, especially when we're around a lot of people, let's say my husband makes fun of me because basically if we're in a crowd of people, I'm like, I I have to like shower when I get home. And it's not because like germs, although like I guess COVID did change a little bit of my brain, brain in that way. But it's actually mainly there's something about the water that allows for me to separate from the experience of being joyful with a lot of people to returning to myself as an individual. There's something that allows for me to separate utilizing the water. And so I invite you to use water this week. Maybe when you're washing your hands before eating, just instead of just doing it, do it in a ritualistic way. And it doesn't have to be any specific ritualistic way. It's your ritualistic way because that's what we get to do today. Use the water. I think it's here for us. And I think it's so important. And I would argue out of all the elements, I I often feel like water is the most feminine of them. And gosh, in this world, do we need more feminine energy and feminist energy. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to the Ritual House podcast. Please be sure to follow the show on whichever platform you are listening to this right now so that you'll never miss an episode. And as we grow the show, we wanna hear about the rituals that are meaningful to you. We invite you to share your ritual practices with us. You can DM us at theritual.house on Instagram or find us on our website, www.theritual.house. Also, as a new show, your feedback is really important to us. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? We'll see you back here next week to continue the ritual revolution. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a week filled with intention and attention. Take good care.